3: Welcome to the Tudor Dixon podcast. We like to get into some great debates on this program about where the world is heading. And generally, that means politically. But what about faith? We see the anti-Semitism, the attacks on Jews. A Jewish man was just killed at a Palestinian rally in California, and it barely made the news. Some media outlets had headlines like, Jewish man fell and died at pro-Palestine rally fell and died. The man was struck with a bullhorn, knocked to the ground, and succumbed to his injuries. That's murder, folks. But it's not the narrative the news likes. It doesn't help the Democrats like the George Floyd story. No headlines then that said man dies of fentanyl poisoning after George Floyd died. No outrage over drugs. No real investigation into why this is happening. George Floyd was murdered, but the Jewish man attacked at the rally fell and died. There's no one to pay groups to march for the Jewish Jewish people, no one to riot and loot after the death of a Jew or a Christian, but a lot of people have been paid and transported to anti-Semitic rallies. In fact, these people can be bused into the Capitol. They can go up to the White House and They can try to push through the White House gates and vandalize the pillars with red paint, and the media will remain silent. But not if you dare say you're a Christian. If you read the Bible, if you share the good word of the Lord, then you should expect a spiritual battle to begin. And in America, folks, it's here. That's right. There's a strong push to mock and embarrass and destroy Christians. We know this because we have a new speaker of the House, Speaker Mike Johnson, and guess what? He dared to say his worldview comes from the Bible. Listen to him, here it is.
0: Someone asked me today in the media, they said, it's curious, people are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, Go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's that's my worldview. That's what I believe.
3: It's funny because it didn't even phase me. And there are different responses to this, but people went completely nuts. So if you're a person of faith, you just get this. I mean, regardless of your faith, you just get it. If you are a believer, you're le- you lead your life by what you've learned through faith. And you understand what the speaker is saying here. You get it. For Christians, that's the gospel, and that's where most Christians base their worldview. It's normal. It's not radical. It's not crazy, not dangerous. It's normal. And I say most Christians because there are Christians who do not spend that much time in the Word. They don't study the Word. They don't apply the Word of God to their lives, but they believe in Jesus. I've been there. And that's why I wanted to start this podcast by sharing my own faith journey with you so You know I get it, Uh, but I also see how the mainstream media desperately wants to erase God and how vulnerable we are to those attacks. They're actually moving forward with that, but don't be deceived, folks. God is letting them. Yeah, he's got this. There's nothing out of his control. But see, here's the thing. He sees that we are actually allowing the hands hands and feet of God to be bound here in the world and I'm going to explain what that means, but first, so you understand where I'm coming from with this, so it's not just like you're hearing me say the media is doing this and you don't really believe it. I want you to listen to Jen Psaki, and let's remember when you listen to this, this is the former White House press secretary to a president who is supposedly a Catholic. and. And she was even out there talking about him being a Catholic. Oh, yes, Catholicism. Yes, yes, yes. He's a Catholic. Watch her mock the speaker's faith. And to be honest, just Christians in general. Here it is. You heard that right. The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview. It is his worldview. In fact, during his first speech in his new job, Johnson suggested that his election as speaker was an act of God. Talk about a bit of a humble brag there. So what exactly has God apparently called on Mike Johnson to do? Well, his views on policy are essentially what you'd expect from a religious fundamentalist. They're more divisive than they are divine. (laughs) Listen, she's not saying this because she's afraid of Speaker Johnson. She's afraid of the Christian voice And she wants you to be embarrassed. She believes that she can use her bully pulpit to make Christians feel ashamed of who they are. Every good leftist journalist wants to destroy something they view as being on the right. She wants to take credit for this one. She wants to take credit for making Christians hide their faith, make them deny Jesus, make it so that no one knows they worship the Lord, or worse, make them stop believing themselves. And she thinks she has that power. You may be asking, what true Christian would allow that? Well, every Christian's on a journey. So that's why I wanna share a little bit of mine. I obviously, when I was running, openly told people that I lead my life by my Christian faith. But when I was a kid, I was what some might call a creaster. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this term it's people who go to church on christmas and easter i was a creaster i don't know why i don't know why my parents just decided that we would go to church on christmas and easter and maybe we went a couple of other times but that was the majority of my faith in my upbringing my grandparents on both sides were incredibly involved in the church especially on my dad's side But we just weren't regular church goers when i went to my grandparents house i was always taken to church and i remember my grandmother being very involved in the church and there was just something inside of me that felt this overwhelming peace there like i i liked it i wanted to be there and and even so even though i wasn't in the church at home it was like christ was present in me i just knew it i didn't have the backstory though I, I didn't know why he was there. I remember when I was like 11 years old, my parents took me to church and I was baptized in front of the whole church. And like, remember, I'm only there on Christmas and Easter. So this is not like what you, if you're, if you grew up in the church, it's not like what you know. So imagine not knowing anybody there, standing up in front of the whole church and getting baptized. And you're like 11, right? So I had no idea what the whole Christ backstory was. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a full understanding of the connection to God, being saved, fully dedicating my life to Christ. And that's where they get you. When you're right on the edge, you feel God in your soul, but you don't have the backstory. That's where the naysayers can tear someone's interest in faith down. And if the media can make Christianity bad, if Christian groups can be listed as hate groups. then. Those folks that are just on that edge, those folks that are interested in faith, well, they think they can get you to walk away. And without faith, where are people? They're left searching for a cause and an identity. And let's face it, they're vulnerable. We weren't a praying family growing up. I know some of you, that's shocking. And for others, that's where you are right now. I get it. Growing up, we just didn't turn to prayer. It was just not part of my family. And I remember... When I started going to church and people are like, oh, pray, pray for this, pray for that. I'm like, wow, it doesn't strike me because that's not how I was raised. At that time, that was shocking to me. Like, for example, if someone was sick or something or like I needed help solving a problem, I didn't think I could go to God. I just felt like I was alone. And that's the worst place to be for so many people, thinking that you're doing this all in your own, by yourself, in your own own power. You have no one else to go to. And I'm telling you this because if faith is second nature to you, and it's just always been a part of your life, you may not realize how precarious of a faith situation we're in in this country. When I was in middle school, my parents would occasionally have to go out of town for a conference or something. And we had this babysitter that would come and she was this older lady. And, you know, now she's probably my age, but in my mind, she was like in her seventies, you know, who knows, but when you're little, everybody seems really old. So she was really old and very faithful. And I didn't remember, I didn't grow up in this type of household where you just prayed over everything. And her name was Levon. And I remember I came home from school one day and I had this terrible headache and This is going to seem so normal to so many of you, but just so you can understand what it's like when it's not normal to you. She put her hand on my head and she was like, "I, Lord Jesus, I pray over this child that the pain would go away. And I was like, what is happening? So I'm in this vulnerable spot where pretty much I know in my heart at that time, somebody could have gone to me and said, this is nuts. Get away from these Christians. They're crazy and would have implanted a seed in me that could have taken, that could have sprouted, but I already had a seed inside of me. It was a tiny seed, it was a tiny seed of faith. It was a mustard seed and it just had to grow. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
2: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. at lifelock.com news. That's lifelock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater,
0: and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
3: Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
4: Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a.com slash iHeart.
3: So my first experience kind of thinking about that and exploring faith really was at my grandmother's funeral. My grandmother's funeral, she had this is my dad's mom. Like I said, they were very involved in their church. And at that point, they were out in Arizona, and they were at one of those really big churches where they had, it was funny, because my parents grew up in a church where you only sang like traditional hymns from the hymnal. And then my grandmother went to this church where, you know, now they have like modern Christian music. And it was horrifying to my mother. And she's like, Oh, my goodness, how are we going to go to this funeral where this, this church is going to play this rock music. And We went and it was a huge church. And my dad, who was this phenomenal public speaker, he was just like, I really looked up to my dad and my aunt. So my my dad and his sister were both these incredible influencers in their own space. She was in sales. He was in steel. They had risen up and given speeches everywhere. And they both turned to me and I was in college. They both turned to me and they said, yeah, there's no way we're not speaking at this funeral. We can't, we can't do it you're going to give the eulogy and i was like what what <laughs> i'm 20 you know and so i i but i knew i knew that i saw the pain in both of their eyes they just couldn't do it and so it was like a calling for me right at that moment i said okay i'm gonna do this and i sat down and i went through with my sister all of our memories and i gave the speech about my grandmother and as we were walking out, the pastor stopped me and he said, can I convince you to go to seminary? And it was like this moment where I thought, please do not let my mom have heard that because she will just laugh about the thought of me going to seminary. And I you know, I said, no, I've, I've never thought about that. I was, I was in college as it was. And I walked away, but it, it started something in me. Like, I just want to know more about this. I couldn't... I couldn't even comprehend going to seminary because i hadn't even opened a bible and really read through it and when i did open a bible it was so intimidating like how do you know what this bible actually means how can i put these words into a context that i understand so i i kind of put that off put off faith again that was another opportunity but i put it off again and then when i was gosh, 32, my I just had my oldest daughter, she was six months old at the time. And a girlfriend came to me and she said, Hey, have you ever heard of this thing? It's called Bible study fellowship. And I said, No. And she said, Well, they just started a kids program, and they're taking kids six months old. And since Larkins six months old, I think you should start going. And I'm kind of one of those obedient friends. And so without really putting a lot of thought into this, I was like, yeah, why not? I'll go, of course. So I go to the first Bible study fellowship. And it's like intense. This woman takes me aside and you like get the introduction. Okay. You've entered this, this Bible study fellowship. And it was like, you're going to have an hour of homework every night of the week. And I have this baby and I'm like really out of school and I'm 32. I haven't been in school in a long time. I haven't had homework in a long time and I'm intimidated. And I come home and I said, to my husband, she he said, "Well, what was the Bible study like?" And I'm like, "It sounds horrible. I mean, we have to do all this homework. We have to learn about the Bible, are we, and then we have to go in every week and talk about the homework that we did, like have an open discussion on it." And I don't know the Bible, so the thought of going in there and and reading this and then trying to talk about it makes me feel like an idiot. And he was like, "So are you just not going to do it?" And I and I every part of me wanted to say, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm out." But that mustard seed said, no, you're not, you're going, you're gonna do this. And so as I went into this and I started to explore the Bible and I started to listen to what the other people said, they said, you know, as you get deeper into faith, your life will change. You're going to, your friends will change. The things that you do will change. Tragedy will strike you and you'll look at it differently. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, I don't want tragedy to strike me. I'm going to bow out of this. But what I realized in that is that tragedy is going to strike all of us. We're all going to have something hard. And without faith, I just don't know how you get through that. So I started hearing about these miracles, not in the Bible. You're hearing about miracles in the Bible at the same time. The Bible is like this book that says these things happen while Jesus was here when God was talking to Moses, when God was speaking into the prophets. These things were happening, but they are happening still. And I wanna remind you when I said, my first inclination didn't used to be to pray when something happened. And I will never forget one of the stories that one of the women told. She said, we were at the beach. And, and so we live on the west side of Michigan, right at Lake Michigan. And everybody goes to the beach in the summer. And the lake is a very scary place because it pulls people under. And we have a lot of drownings every year. And she said her son was just a child, like four, playing in the water. And all of a sudden, he was gone. And she said, no matter where we looked, we couldn't see him. And they were there with her sister. And so cousins and dads, they were all were, were looking out in the water. And she said, we all immediately fell to our knees on the beach and we prayed. And I remember thinking, that would not be my first reaction. That would not be where I would go with that because I would be so desperate to find my child. And the rescuers were out in the lake. And within 15 minutes, they found the boy on the top of the water face down And they pulled him out and they dragged him to the beach and they started to do CPR and it had been 15 minutes. They didn't think that there was a chance. This family never faltered. They never sat there and said, what's happening? What's happening? They prayed. They held hands together. They sat on their knee. They they knelt down. They prayed to God, save this boy. The boy came to. He never had any long-term problems from this. As they were walking, from the hospital that day. One of the rescuers stopped her and she he said, we've never seen that happen before. Drowning victims don't float. They don't sit on the top of the water. Usually we don't find a child, we find a body. And that was a moment where I was like, these miracles happen every day and we see them and we feel them and we don't talk about them in a biblical way, but they are happening and they are amazing. And that mustard seed, that began to grow into some, a faith that I needed so badly and didn't know. And within a few years of this. So I I ended up staying in Bible study fellowship for 7 years and through that time I did have tragedy. We lost a baby. I lost a baby at at 18 weeks and I remember coming home from the hospital. You know, we went through we we went through labor. We said goodbye held the baby, said goodbye coming home and and I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. I know that for men this is this is hard, but I think that for a woman, there's so many feelings. There's this feeling that you, you failed. Somehow this baby, you were growing inside of you. You messed it up. That baby didn't make it. What did I do wrong? Why did this happen? And as I was sitting there and I'm, I'm on my knees and I'm saying, why did this happen? What did I do wrong, God? I felt this feeling. Just presence around my shoulders, like, you know what? You're going to be fine. I've got you. I can't explain it any way other than that. And this amazing peace came over me. And I thought, how do people do it without faith? And then a few years later, so then we had another baby, and actually three more babies. So I have my oldest, my middle, and twins. And at the time, the twins are two. And I'm 38 and I go in for my regular checkup and the doctor says, we're a little worried about this lump here. And the next thing I know is cancer. And again, tragedy struck. And I remember leaving the doctor's office and sitting in the car and crying on the way home. And this sense of, do not cry. We've got this, I'm with you. You are on a journey And we are on that journey together. And never again did I have fear through that entire journey. And never again did I cry through that entire journey, through surgery, through everything. He was there with me. Prayer works for those who believe God is able. And that was something I learned in in Bible study, too. One of these women, she said to me, you got to understand that prayer is powerful. But prayer is only powerful if you believe God can do what you're asking. And it makes me think of Luke 8, 43 through 48. You remember the woman who was bleeding. Let me read this to you. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and press in on you. The crowd surrounds you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed the power gone out from me. Then the woman saw that she could not remain hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, and she declared in the presence of the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
4: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit Lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart.
0: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
1: For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning.
3: Prayer is not magic. It's not a wish list. It is a personal relationship with our creator who is greater than all and loves us more than we can ever understand. It wasn't the fact that he had to turn and heal her. She didn't have to ask God. His power went out to her because she believed that if she just touched him, that power was there. And I started to engage in this and understand this and realize this. And my girls were realizing this. And I can tell you from my own experience some of the things that we went through and why faith is so important to me and why faith is something that I hold on to and that I can tell you is bigger than me. Little things. My oldest was a thumb sucker. Really struggled with it. And if you're a parent, and I mean, I know that can sound silly, but if you're a parent and you have a child that is th- sucking their thumb... You're At your wit's end, how do you get them to stop? And so we talked about it. We talked about it. She said, I want to stop, but I just can't. And I said, well, why don't we pray about it? And you know what? This is a really big moment for me because I really hadn't done this. I had never openly talked about prayer. I had never talked about prayer for something specific to see God working in that way. I had asked for comfort. I had asked for healing in a way, but I had never had a bold, like, this has to change, help us do this prayer. And it wasn't me. It was Larkin, my oldest, at like four years old. She sat down and she prayed and she took her blanket that night because her blanket was the kind of the reason if she could have that blanket in her hand, she was going to suck her thumb. She on her own after this prayer took that blanket. It was like she knew God told her, put the blanket away. That was the last night she ever sucked her thumb. That was it. It was over. Two days later, the blanket came back out. She never sucked her thumb again. My middle daughter, she used to have night, not night terror. She used to have fever hallucinations, which I had no idea that was a thing. So, parents, if you have a baby and you don't know that night or fever hallucinations are a thing, she would be 18 months old and you could see her looking around the room screaming in terror. And until she could actually verbalize, I didn't know what was happening. So she would say, I see the scary faces everywhere, which aside that was terrifying but she would go through this and like screaming and it would be a nightmare and so we said okay we're gonna pray to Jesus that he release you from this that he that he is there and she would say Jesus is here you leave me alone and that was the last time she ever that one time when we we held hands and we said in the name of Jesus let these these fever hallucinations leave they never returned So what's harder? Is it harder if you're in the situation where you've always known? If you have always known that Jesus was there? Is it harder right now in America if you're someone who was saved as an older person? I mean, I know what it is to live on two different sides of the faith spectrum. So I wonder all the time, is it harder to be my girls who've grown up reading scripture and talking to Jesus every day and seeing his miracles and his love and being told that their faith makes them bad is that hard to suddenly see someone say your faith makes you bad wait i've seen these miracles i've seen this love how can you tell me that my faith makes me bad they hear these comments they hear these comments about speaker johnson and and them calling him a christian nationalist they know people say he hates rather than he loves the christianity they know is filled with love but what will happen when they are told that their beliefs are not socially acceptable? will they be strong or will they be peter and deny their faith remember that moment when judas had just betrayed jesus jesus had actually just told peter he would deny him and peter was like "Whoa, what no there's no way it's impossible so then they go out and and like think about this the disciples have no idea what's about to happen they're with their leader they believe he's going to be king they're with the guy who's going to lead the world. Okay, so they're safe. They are on the Mount of Olives. They don't know Judas is a jerk, you know, that he's gone to the other guys and said, hey, let's take him. I've got, I need some silver. Let's do this thing. So they feel good about this. Peter's on the top of the world. He's with the King of Kings. He's not going to deny him. All of a sudden, the priests come, Judas comes, he betrays him. They take him. Jesus they're questioning him and what happens what happens in this moment where society is like this guy is bad Jesus is bad you're bad for being around him does Peter hold strong no Peter falters and that's an interesting part of the Bible because it's a moment where we can all go oh my gosh I've been a Peter I know exactly what it's like so Matthew this is Matthew 26 69 through 75 now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. <laughs> but that's not what Peter says. Peter denies it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were, with, who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. And there's an exclamation point there. So we know he was adamant. He did not know Jesus. And a little bit later, those who stood up and came by and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he gets like ticked, right? He begins to curse and swear. And he's like, I do not know this guy. I do not know the man. Again, with an exclamation point. Then what do we hear? A rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter goes out and he weeps. He's just so upset about it. How could this happen? But that is such a perfect example of how this happens. And if you have a strong foundation, you come back to faith. Maybe this will happen to my girls and I hope they have a strong foundation that will bring them back like it did Peter. Jesus called Peter the rock. Peter's considered the founder of the Roman Catholic Church, which means his foundation and faith won out, which means as humans, we can falter and we can still return, and I want my girls to return to their foundation rather than be drawn to a passing cause by a media who wants to tell them that Christians are bad. I was asked to deny my faith. On the campaign trail, this was a common thing. This is a common thing with politicians. What's the balance? How do you thread the needle? You might say, denying, you know, we we can be strong. We can deny. Uh, Maybe deny is a too strong of a word. Should we deny? I don't know. No. This is denying. If you cannot stand firmly in your faith, it's denying. And you can deny and you can come back to faith with your strong foundation. But you have to understand that you're being asked to deny. I was asked, I was sometimes told by Christians and non Christians. When I first started campaigning, this is like really early on. OK, so I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm just sitting down and talking to people and telling them why I think that we can make great changes in Michigan. And the woman says, tell me your story. And I tell this long story about what led me here. And I said, and my husband and I sat down and prayed about the decision. And then I go on to talk and she stops me at the end of it. And she said, don't ever do that. And I couldn't even remember what she was talking about. I said, what? Don't ever say you prayed. And I was kind of taken aback. I said, what do you mean? Don't ever do that. People will be so turned off. You won't get the young people. You cannot tell people you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. This is her. I'm a Christian, but I would never tell anyone. Wow. I just immediately had this sense like, no, I'm not okay with that. I'm not going to do that. But I wonder how often I didn't say what I wanted to say because that woman was in my head. How often did I have a Peter moment? Even though my foundation was strong, how often did I let it make me question whether I could say in this country that I'm a Christian, a country that was founded on Christian values? I was afraid. I was told when I went to the east side of the state, there was a high population of Muslims and Jews. Take your cross off. I didn't, I'm not going to. I had one donor, one supporter, we, went, we met often. He was a Muslim. And he was very open about his Muslim faith. He would have prayer beads in his hand every time we talked. He was very much open about the importance of his faith. But he didn't hesitate to sit me down after I was at an event where some of the people with me said, were talking about their Christian values. And he said, don't ever Talk about your Christian values. It is such a turnoff to us. And I've thought about that so many times since then. Because what if I were to go to someone in the Muslim community that was running for office, and I said, in this country, we don't want to know you're Muslim. Outrageous. That would be outrageous. I would be, the I would just be toasted. Everybody in the media, everybody in the political world would say how could you do that but for some reason it's okay to do that to christians so let me ask you something what does that mean for christians in this country if christians can be so persecuted if they can be told not to speak about their faith what does that mean for christians well i'm going to tell you it means nothing and you might go what are you talking about you just did this whole podcast and now you're telling me it means nothing It means nothing because God is bigger than the people who want you to hide, to feel shame, to apologize for your faith or your reliance on God's word to guide you. It means nothing. God is bigger than that. But the spiritual battle is strong on U.S. soil today. It's stronger than it has been in the past. And those people who are young in faith, those people that I talked to you about, the me's, the people who are exploring faith, They could be driven away without the hands and feet of God speaking boldly the truth. If that's you, then do it. Share the good word, stand up to the bullies. That's why I tell you the hands and feet, the hands and feet of God are bound. We are allowing them to be bound because we're allowing Yahoo's like Gensaki to go out there and mock Christianity and not say, Hey, you can say whatever you want in the United States, but we're gonna stop listening to you because you don't get to bully us. Do that, stop listening to those people. Talk about your faith and make it look, make those people who are young in faith, look at Jen Psaki and go, man, you're gross. You're disgusting. I don't want anything to do with you because she doesn't deserve to have that platform if she's going to mock our Lord, she doesn't. And it's not just her. Listen to Bill Maher. And this, once you listen to him, you will know what you are facing in faith. But listen to this mockery from Bill Maher.
1: So the Republicans have really found their sweet spot. Loves Jesus, hates democracy. Uh, And I got to say, this guy owns it. (laughs) Because we're... We're just getting to know him. So he's on the shows and they're asking him about him. He said today or maybe yesterday, he said, pick up a Bible off the shelf. I didn't have one, but I get that. And read it. That's my worldview. That's what he's saying. Talk to the hand, the one with the nail in it.
3: I'm proud of my Christian worldview. He just mocked the crucifixion. He's mocking the resurrection. Look, folks mockery and jokes. That's how it begins. It's the speck of rust that bubbles under the paint. So don't let it get out of hand. Do what I said. Talk about your faith. Make people look at that and go, wow, off limits, kind of gross, doesn't belong on TV. God isn't calling you to passivity. Faith is a team effort. If you falter, think of Peter and return stronger. Be the rock. I'm telling you, our faith is, is what will bring us together. It will heal this country. Good things will happen. God knows he's watching. He's not gonna let us fall away. He's gonna look for the one. He'll leave the 99 and he'll find the one. Make sure you are not blocking God. Let the mustard seed grow. I know it, I've lived it, and it's a beautiful experience. And I appreciate you letting me share it with you today. So thank you for sticking with me through this podcast. Remember, we're at the TudorDixonPodcast.com. Make sure you tell your friends, TudorDixonPodcast.com. Check us out there or on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a blessed day.